Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this Sunday. We continue our series on the rule of life. We are teaching through this visionary series to help you as followers of Jesus live the way of Jesus. And so these words that we're teaching through, these concepts, these disciplines and practices are intentional words to help shape our life together as a community. We started with the section, our life with God, learning how to reorder our daily lives around intentional disciplines of prayer and scripture and worship. And now we move on to life together, where we look at rhythms and practices that shape our life together, like community and service. And today I'm going to continue in this theme with generosity. You see, generosity, by definition, is the quality of being kind or generous. The definition of generous is a person showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. A person showing a readiness to give more than what was expected. You see, the opposite of generous is selfish, stingy, cheap, tight-fisted. Tight-fisted. Think about those days when you were younger and you couldn't afford to go out to eat in restaurants, but then you do with your friends for like a birthday and the check comes and everyone kind of gathers and there's that one person who's really good with a calculator and they pull out their calculator and they start adding up everything and they, they tell you what you owe and um, there's that one friend and maybe if you don't have that friend, you might be this friend, but that one friend who like gives the exact cent amount and they forget to include the tax and the tip that's part of this collective bill. And so that person, you think to yourself, they are tight fisted, they are stingy, they are selfish, but we all have those moments, don't we? I remember what it was like. And, and then you get older and you just give hopefully more than what you should. But the point is this. That way of calculating that exact dollar amount, that a way of, of, of giving the sense, that kind of perspective, that tight-fisted approach to life is more than just something that happens when you think about paying a tip or your bill. It's more than just your possessions and your finances. It's a way of living. That selfishness is a worldview. It's a, a way of engaging in the world. It's a way of connecting through the world with scarcity, a sense that you this is yours. And, and in the same way that tight-fisted or stingy or selfish is a worldview, so is generosity. Generosity is not simply a discipline. It's a way of engaging in the world around you. Generosity is a way of engaging in the world around you the way God engages in the world around you. Mark chapter 4, verse 24, in the message version, it says, giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. I want every disciple at the garden to live with this readiness to give more than what was expected, to be known by our extravagant generosity. I want us to be sloppy with our generosity, indiscriminate with our giving, because generosity is perhaps one of the most wild and countercultural characteristics of our current day and age. Are you with me, church? The question then is, how do we become generous? How do we grow in generosity. Can I pause real quick and pray? I just want to focus my heart and mind. Lord, I just ask that you would allow 
your spirit to come right now and fill me and speak in a new way. I pray for everyone listening right now to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to be open to a new possibility. May their eyes of their heart be expanded to see you. May their lives be transformed to live out this idea, this concept, this way of living that uh, produces kingdom expansion. And I pray for an increase of harvest through this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you become more generous? Well, first of all, you need to know that generosity is more than just giving. It's not a single act. It's not simply a practice. We need, obviously, to practice giving to become generous, but generosity is more of a characteristic, an inner connection that can be developed or grown over a long period of time. I can give money and I can give some of my material possessions away, but I can but that doesn't necessarily mark me as someone who's generous because I can give out of obligation. I can give with reluctance. Generosity is this willingness, this anticipatory excitement, this readiness to participate in giving, in, in, in sharing, in extending. When Paul writes to a church in Corinth, it was a wealthy church, he reminds them of this generous worldview. I love this passage for lots of reasons, but check this out. In 2 Corinthians chapter nine, um, verse six, Paul writes to the church, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. You catch that? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. God loves a generous giver, a a cheerful giver. This is what God is after. Not so much what we give, but how we give it. He instructs the church to be intentional. Paul instructs the church to give with joy and excitement, cheerfully. Um, The Greek word is also translated to hilariously, that we do this thing called giving with this excitement and anticipation because Paul knows what giving represents. He knows what generosity represents. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he continues and he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, which things? All things. Having all that you need will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Which way? Every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Okay, Paul's saying this. Look, he's telling the church in this context to get ready to give for the Lord's, um, this, this, for the Lord's people. So he's, he's going around the churches collecting money to give to those suffering um, from extreme conditions of poverty. And he's taking that money from these churches throughout the Roman Empire back to Jerusalem where they are suffering famine and poverty. Paul tells the church to get ready to, to give because the church is generous. When you give, do it joyfully, do it cheerfully. But not just that, recognize that your giving, <clears throat> your generosity points people to God. 
that this gift actually will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, this is what happens when we learn to live generously. Our way of being begins to point people to God. I I know so many stories of this. I have a friend who decided to buy somebody else an entire year's membership for a gym. And the owner of this gym, when asked about this extravagant generosity, um, uh, found out that this man was giving this gift to some friend. He said, you were the most generous. That's one of the most generous things I've ever heard. And then this guy went on to tell this gym owner about Jesus because that's what funnels this man's generosity. His relationship to God has produced this man with a mission to be generous. And through his generosity, people are hearing about God. People are experiencing what God is like. I know somebody who was sitting in at one of our church services before it closed, and um, they were in worship, and they had this sense that they needed to give $500 to a landscaper that they had hired to mow their lawn. And they randomly text this person, and they usually do Venmo, and said, hey, I'm going to Venmo you this money. It's a gift. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I, God bless you. And the landscaper replied saying, "You, I cannot believe this. This is the most generous thing that's ever happened to me. I haven't been able to work because my wife has been sick in the hospital, and I'm watching my kids. God used that moment to reveal his love to somebody who needed to experience God's love through a random act of generosity. You see, generosity trains us to participate in God's ever-expanding kingdom. It reveals what he's like to the world. God so loved the world that he gave. It's perhaps the easiest thing we can do to extend, to extend God's love on earth. It's just to give, to share, to be open-handed and soft-hearted towards one another as we engage in life together. And let me do this. Let me draw a connection on a deep. Actually, let me tell one more story. I love this story. I, I love this story because I realize it's not part of my notes. I love this story because it, it, it makes me see what happens when the Spirit gets involved to those who will listen. Uh, I remember years ago, I was sitting in a church service. It was a second service at Franklin, and I had this number, $1,200, in my head, and I couldn't get that number out of my head. I finally go up to preach, and I'm like, guys, I need to pray. I don't know why. I feel like um, I need to seek the Lord. And I said, I had this word about $1,200. And while I was waiting on the Lord, I heard God say, there's a single mom here who's going to get evicted and she needs $1,200 for rent. Sure enough, I say that there's a single mom who's first time visiting in our church with a notice. She needs $1,200 for rent. We passed the bucket a second time and we were able to collect exactly $1,200 and give it to this woman who came with four or five kids, I don't remember, with an eviction notice. And God used words of knowledge and the generosity of a church to empower his love for single moms. Can I get an amen? You see, this is what generosity does. It's, it, it just, it expands God's mission on earth. And we gotta learn to step into that flow, to that current of God's blessing. But generosity is not just something we do with our stuff. It's, it is connected to our resources and material possessions, our money, but it's also connected to our time. It's connected to our um, relationships and how we live with one another. It's connected to our hearts and into our minds. You see, we can think generously towards one another. We can feel generously towards each other. And I want you to think about your mind. You're having a, a generous mindset. 
just think about how you engage social media or how you engage the comment section on your social media. Are you generous towards other people's opinions, even if they're different than yours? You see, generosity is the thing that actually empowers biblical community. You see, I want to get to the deeper level here. It's not just about giving stuff away and giving money. I want to get to a generous spirit in the church, living generously with one another when we disagree about politics, living generously with one another when we, have, uh, when we struggle with certain issues, living generously with one another when we change in seasons of life or stage of life, learning how to hold space because we've learned to be generous. You see, biblical community will always flourish when the community is generous towards each other. Are you with me? This is why you see Acts 2 and Acts 4 marked, the beginning of the church is marked by generosity. But it's grounded deeper. It's part of what it means to be the people of God. They've always had to learn to be generous. Check this out. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. When the people of God were being formed by Moses and God in the wilderness, Moses writes this book to remind the people of God, how to be with one another. He writes this as a, as a way of preparing the community of God for the promised land. Are you with me? Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, Moses writes this to the Israelites. Check this out. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Check this out. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. So don't think this. Hey, the seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty. So give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So this instruction is about um, is a command about sharing, giving, and being generous. And, and, and Moses uses language to help navigate everyday ordinary uh, moments that the Israelites will face. Um, and he, and, he, and he's, he's talking not just about what to do, but what they feel and think in the moment. Essentially what he's saying, look, some of you are gonna have enough. Some of you are not gonna have enough. Those that don't have enough, when they come to those of you that have enough and ask to borrow something, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, which we'll come back to. And don't think to yourself, hey, the seventh year's coming. The year for canceling debts is almost here. If I lend something to them, that debt's going to get canceled and I won't get it back. In other words, don't think those thoughts, but instead just be open-handed, be soft-hearted and give and share <clears throat> because otherwise they might appeal or cry out. And that's the word I want to focus on, appeal or cry out. You see, in this text, Moses is drawing from the Exodus story. It's so significant because he says, don't be hard-hearted, otherwise they might appeal and cry out. The word hard-hearted, that phrase would have been um, like a drumbeat taking you all the way back to the Exodus story where there was somebody who had a hard heart towards the people of God and that somebody ruled the empire, uh, Egypt, 
who enslaved the Israelites. It was Pharaoh who had the hard heart and he built an entire empire that um, systematically oppressed the Israelites. And it's the Israelites who in the beginning of Exodus cry out to God, appeal to God, and God sends them Moses and liberates them from their oppressors. God hears the cries of the poor and marginalized and the oppressed. And so throughout the story, you see over and over again, Pharaoh has this hardened heart. And as the people of God are about to enter into this promised land, Moses is saying, when you live your everyday ordinary life, live in such a way where you don't become like Pharaoh and become hard-hearted. When your hearts are hearted, hardened, when your hearts are hardened, you will use your resources for yourself. You will store up for yourself and you will become tight-fisted. And when you become tight-fisted, you will become the oppressor. The way of empire begins with your heart in the same way that the way of Jesus and the kingdom begins with your heart. I remember I've told this story a few times. It's one of my favorites. I'm just going to do it again. It's five years old. I was on my way to Colorado on a guy's trip. There were two cars driving to Colorado for this men's retreat. And one of our cars broke down. And when we tried to move all the stuff from one car into the forerunner, we stacked up all of the stuff up on top of the forerunner, put a tarp over it, tied it down. And we hopped back in the car while it was raining. It was absolute chaos. And we had to keep going on because we were losing time. Everyone was starting to get hungry. And I managed to sit, get into the front seat because I was one of the tallest. Um, and I looked, I opened up my bag and I realized that I had managed to stick my food bag in my backpack, which wasn't originally the plan, but I did it on accident. I look in there and I see that my babe had packed me my favorite dried mangoes. She managed to give me dried mangoes, which you know is like gold in my household. Dried mangoes are my favorite. And I, I, I go to open the bag, but I have this thought in my head and it goes something like this. If you open this bag, you're gonna have to share. And if you share, you're gonna not have enough for yourself. And so I thought for a second, maybe I should not open this bag right now. Bunch of six hungry dudes in this small forerunner. But in the same thought of selfishness, I heard in my head, if this is how you are with dried mangoes, what else do you do this with? And I realized in a, in a flash that God was trying to talk to me, that that was something he was trying to get. So I opened up the dried mangoes and I passed around and it was gone instantly. We all ate and had our fill and were satisfied. You see, I was questioning whether I should share in that moment. I was holding back something because I had this scarcity. There's not enough for me. And the Lord challenged it. If this is how you are with dried mangoes, what else in your life are you doing this with? You see, what I've realized is that when you start sharing the small stuff in your life, you will learn how to start sharing the big stuff as well. If you don't share the small stuff, you won't share the big stuff. If you don't learn to give the little things away, you won't ever be willing to give the big things away. You see, after this dried mango experience, I was led down a path of simplicity and minimalism, which was a season of my life of giving away clothes and shoes and boxes and boxes of books and workout equipment. And then eventually that journey led Alex and I to selling our home and giving the most money away we've ever given because God took us on a path of freedom where he challenged my perspective, which was really tight-fisted, self-focused, hard-hearted to soft hearts 
and open hands. You see, this is it. You see, hard hearts and tight fists lead to the way of empire, but soft hearts and open hands lead to the way of Jesus. It's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, in the message version, you have been treated generously, so live generously. Isn't that enough? How have you been treated in How have you been treated by God in Christ? You have been treated generously. So now as a great act of worship, live generously. And so we, as a church, learn to act generously towards each other. And as we act generously, as we think, as we feel, as we begin to share and give and be generous towards each other, we begin to reflect the character and nature of God to one another. And as you do this, your life expands. Your, you begin to grow in Christ's likeness because generosity reveals God to the world. And your generosity will empower biblical community. So, Practically then, as we talk about generosity as a rule of life, what is a rule for a generous life? How do you grow over time in generosity? I want to give you some practical things. I want you to think about your life intentionally now through the lens of generosity and think of it as like a marathon, that you get to a place where your life is generous. How did you get to run those 26.2 miles. You do it one mile at a time. And sometimes it's just half a mile. So number one, how do you grow in generosity? Number one, practice sharing what you do have. Practice sharing or practice giving what you already have. I love what 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 talks about. 1 John Uh, The Apostle John says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity or compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with our words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love this passage because John takes what's abstract like love or even like generosity and he makes it very simple, tangible, and practical. Love looks like sharing what you have with those in need. It's that simple. One author says it this way. Here, John connects love and property in a simple way. True love makes us want to ensure that every Christian has his or her needs met. Food, drink, clothing, housing. But 1 John is a rebuke. If Christians haven't done this, if the church hasn't succeeded with this, then how can the love of God be in that person? I I kind of paraphrase that. That's a bit softer. He actually says that the love of God is obviously absent if we haven't done this. In other words, we're deceived about how happy God is with us if we have yet to share enough to have no Christian poor. Come on. Notice that John didn't say whoever has a great deal of the world's goods. No, he's not speaking to the super rich. He's speaking to everyone with more than one cloak, to put it in first century terms. Simply put, refusing to share with a fellow Christian is a sign we're not genuine believers. We haven't learned lesson one, sharing food. This was the beginning of real community, making sure that each person has his or her basics. That is the beginning of the Trinity on earth. 
So I want you to learn to share. I want you to look for opportunities to ask friends, your neighbors, to to share what you have, to be ready and anticipate the needs. Don't just um, develop clicks with people who don't have needs. Look for opportunities to give to those around you. Share the resources you have. Share meals, share clothes, share cars, share, share books, share what you have. Don't just Amazon Prime or Target pick up everything. Let's become a community that, that gets good with things being free, the ebb and flow of resource and possessions go together. Are you with me? So share and give away what you have. Number two, I want you to practice consistent giving, okay? This is this takes stewardship, and we're going to talk about stewardship next week. I'm going to preach on this, but um, I want you to practice consistent giving. Some of you, uh, you don't give, and your task is to practice giving. Some of you give kind of sporadically, your task is to learn to give consistently, to tithe. Some of you already tithe and give. I want to ask you to increase that percentage. A tithe is, the, is a, an Old Testament term. And tithe means 10th. And the idea is you give 10% of your income. And tithe itself is not generosity. Tithe is just a percentage. In fact, statistically, on average, Christians only give 2.5% of their income to the church. Yet during the Great Depression, that was 3.3% of their income. Tithers only make up 10 to 25% of the church congregation. So of the people that call the garden home, we're talking about a small percentage of people that give a tithe. Recurring givers annually donate 42% more than one-time givers. And those who give regularly to the church, eight out of 10 people who give to the church don't have uh, credit card debt. Those are all stats from non- a nonprofit source called Nonprofit Source. So I want to encourage you to think about giving regularly. I want you to develop a habit of giving to the church. If you don't tithe, start start with a percentage. Maybe you can't tithe 10%. Give 3% or give 5%. Do it regularly and see what happens. Let tithing be a discipline that shapes you with an end goal of generosity. Take that step towards generosity. So the practice is to give consistently and regularly. We should be doing this to the church, but we should do this other places as well. I was reading um, recently, and and I thought it was really convicting because um, this author, he says this, even tithing can serve as a self-righteous diversion around Jesus's message. It can become a mechanical rule to justify luxurious living. The New Testament doesn't explicitly instruct us to tithe. Jesus and the Apostle Paul both encourage liberal giving. Liberal offerings, however, go beyond tithing, as we've seen in the case of the poor widow. Tithes were an integral part of the Old Testament sacrificial system and offering, but the New Testament simply assumes the tithe as the minimal standard of giving. Oh, as the minimal standard of giving. Uh, I just believe that we as a church need to get good at um, releasing our stuff and our money and seeing all of it as God's. So don't think a tithe is me giving to God. Think of a tithe as uh, me learning how to live generously because if you give 10%, that 90% is just as important to God um, as the 10. In fact, it might be more, but we're gonna talk about that next week as we talk about what it means to have a rule for a well-ordered life, a stewardship. How do we steward our things? How do we steward our heart, our resources? How do we steward our time, our money? How do we uh, steward our life on behalf of God? 
Um, number three, I want you to develop and practice random acts of giving. We should be prepared to give when asked. So carry cash on. So the practice is uh, carry cash. Uh, look for opportunities to give. Maybe the discipline is uh, to uh, every time somebody asks you something to choose to help them, to give what you can. Another practical uh, practice is to tip 30%. Or every time you fill up your gas, look for somebody to help fill up their gas tank. I call it the gas tank challenge. So there's the tip 30% challenge, the gas tank challenge. Um, I also do the buy one, give one. So if you buy something for yourself, like a new pair of shoes or clothes or jeans or a jacket, consider giving one of those things away. Connect what you receive with what you give. This is just the beginning of developing the muscles of generosity. You can consider in your digital community or your house church um, to commit to no needs among us. Think about how cool it would be to be a digital community that made sure nobody had a financial need, that all the needs were met by the digital community or the house church. I imagine a, uh, a church one day, imagine this. I, I've always dreamed about this. I, I was in Bill Doctrum's class and he told a story of a church that did this in Riverside years ago. But I was a student, never thought about planning a church, but I had this, this came back to me a couple times where a church decided to pay off all of the debt in the church at the time. There's a few hundred people and they, they did this whole campaign to make sure that nobody had unnecessary debt. All of the medical bills were paid. All of the credit card de debt was canceled. They wanted to be debt-free. And I just imagine, imagine if our church was debt-free, that we had no pressing needs. So imagine committing to no needs among us, making sure that you do that. These are all simple practices that you can, you can implement into your life. You can buy extra food for hospitality. Alex and I will buy extra meat so that we can host people. And this is the goal. The goal is to become generous. In Paul's words, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, joyful, hilarious giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So brothers and sisters, let's be a biblical community and let our generosity point people to God. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.